0: Are you ready for something a little different? Well, you came to the right place. Let me explain. This is Warren Sharp making a special appearance on the Sharp Angles podcast to tell you that we recorded a Twitter Spaces with all the contributors from Sharp Football Analysis to writing our 2022 football preview. And we asked tons of questions and covered tons of topics about what we're predicting for the upcoming season. What teams we think are better than the market? What teams we think are worse than the market? What players are we high on? What players are we low on? All different types of stats and nuggets that we were most surprised with when we were writing and researching our 2022 football preview. And I can't wait for you guys to check it out. But before you do, I want you to pay attention to a couple of points. Number one, get the book. It's 564 pages of the best insight and analysis that you are going to get for the 2022 season. It's early July. Very soon, training camps are going to be opening, and then the season is almost underway. We're going to have preseason games, and you don't want to fall behind your competition. Everything has a marketplace. The fantasy football community, the sports betting community, we are all competing with one another to enter the market at the right points on the right teams and the right players. And you're going to be able to get the best information to allow you to get into the market quickly from this book. I promise you on every single chapter in all 32 teams, you're going to find multiple things that you did not know before that will help you better attack the markets in fantasy or sports betting. So go ahead and grab the book. Do so right now. It's on an early bird discount. The price is going to go up next week. So stop waiting. Go ahead and grab it. I think you're going to love it. And if you do, Share some of your feedback with us because we love to hear people that are enjoying the book and how you're consuming it and things that you learn from it. So check it out. Hope you enjoy this podcast. On with the show. All right, guys, what is going on? It is July 12th and we are getting ready for the football season. It's going to be a great one, and I'm happy to talk about it with you tonight. We are going to be discussing a lot of predictions for the season, and we have a lot of good takes on the season already, even though it's just early July. The reason why we have a lot of takes is because we just finished writing our 2022 football preview book, and this sucker covers every single team in the NFL, and I can just promise you this. If you pick up a copy and you check it out, you will learn something that you didn't know before about every single team. And that bit of information and insight will help you become a better fantasy player, a better drafter. You're going to make more intelligent wagers, whether it's in futures markets or for the football season. So I can't encourage you enough. Pick up the book, and figure out a way to process this sucker as quickly as possible, because this is a competitive field and other people are getting ahead of you. uh, The longer that you wait to grab a copy of this book Um, and they're playing in their drafts and their best balls and they're betting NFL futures. And a lot of these guys are reading the book right now. So head on over. You can look at my sticky tweet and we've got a special giveaway that we'll announce midway through this podcast or, whatever this is, Twitter spaces. So I encourage you to check it out at that point in time. Uh, We'll we'll give you some more information on it, but it's on sale right now. And the sale ends in just a couple of days. So get it on sale, get it before other people get it. Um, And I hope you are enjoying it. Most of you guys are probably listening. I'm sure have already gotten your copy. I'm sure you've had a chance to start checking it out. Um, We are going to take some of your questions at the end. Uh, We've got this all-star crew that helped go through this whole thing earlier this year uh, all since March, pretty much uh, Rich has been digesting fantasy football information. He's our fantasy guru at sharp football analysis. We had Dan who, obviously edited the entire book he's the editor of our website but he also focused on the defensive side of the football wrote up all the defensive chapters and that's very useful when we're trying to figure out who these opponents are whether you're playing fantasy or trying to bet on the offenses what are the defenses that you're going up against who did they add who did they lose what are their schemes how do their pieces fit so Dan covered all of that Ryan McChrystal he hit up all of the positional unit ranking. So we ranked every single team. We tweet, Today we tweeted out all the offensive line rankings, but we voted and went through every single team's ranking, uh, front seven, secondary, running back core, wide receiver core, all of these different things, ranked them all. He wrote that up. He also covered all of the new players that were drafted in the upcoming, in, in last year's draft that are now going to be playing this season and which of those guys are going to make impacts for the team this upcoming year. And we had uh, Curtis, who's on here as well. And Curtis did a lot of our betting analysis, why you might consider betting a team over or under this year. And we have analysis and uh, opinions on all 32 teams in the book. And then, of course, Tucker helped with roster and and, uh, roster analysis and who was new on every single team this season. And so uh, he did a great job as well. So with all that said, this intro is behind us. Uh, Let's come and start talking about what you guys have been tuning in here to, And that is us predicting the season. So I've got a list of questions that I'm going to run through with the guys. I'm going to share my takes on it as well as ask them. So first up um, I'll go ahead and ask, you know, we'll just go down the list. I'll start with you, Rich. What nugget did you research that you wrote about in the book that surprised you the most? Obviously for all of us, we are researching a ton. We have access to a lot of new data that, you know, not a lot of people out there in like the regular field have because it costs a lot of money to access. And so you're coming up with new nuggets, you're coming up with the bits of information that might excite you. What's something that you think people might find interesting that you uncovered uh, during your months of research this offseason?
1: Uh, well, I know you wanted a, a team nod, but uh, something I put in the front of the book is still what I think is one of the most fascinating things that's still about this NFL season. It's what we've gone through as people in society, you know, the past two years and how that's played a role in the nfl something that doesn't really get talked a lot about you know last year was still significantly impacted by covid uh you know in december alone there were over 500 positive cases that impacted the season of the bottom 11 teams uh in absences due to covid last year zero made the playoffs of the top 11 teams eight made the playoffs we had fans in stadiums last season uh that had an impact on home field road road performance and efficiency compared to 2020 when things were largely vacant. We still have seen the leak now the past two years. Number of holding calls have been reduced. The yardage lost per game uh, is still some of the lowest we've seen over the previous decade. And, you know, when you factor that in, just by having an offensive penalty on a drive, Your touchdown rate dips 3.8%. The rate of a punt climbs 8%. This is the all data over the past five years. Uh, You look at the reduced holding calls. They've impacted sacks taken. It's the first time we've had sack rates below 6% in back-to-back years in over a decade. Uh, When you take a top-down look at, like, the impact of sacks on a drive, Uh, The scoring rate per drive with a sack drops 18 percent, just 8 percent of all drives with a sack, no matter where they were taken on the field the past five years, has resulted in a touchdown compared to 26 percent when you keep your quarterback clean on a drive. Uh, You know, given the current conditions of our country, I mean, we should anticipate, you know, COVID to impact missed time at a lower rate than it has the past two years. So we still might see further regression off of what has impacted, uh, you know, football conditions in a unique way that, you know, a lot of people still don't really talk about, you know, kind of happening, you know?
0: Yeah, so that that information obviously was interesting with regard to the drive rates, the the, the rate of a sack and how much that kills drives. And if you – the other thing that um, I can't remember if you included in there or not, but I was actually looking at it some today was just – the difference that one single explosive play makes in a drive. You know, if you have a drive that has zero plays of 50, uh, zero, zero plays of 15 plus yards, you are likely to score points. I want to say it's like at 5% of your drives, but if you have just one play that gains 15 plus yards, you're likely to score points t- at a, 10 times that rate. So, um, just, you know, penalties obviously play a factor. Um, and yeah, that, That year that we had no fans in the stands, uh, we saw those road teams do so much better. That was two years ago. So it'll be interesting to see how that continues to regress back to closer to the norm. Dan, on the defensive side of the ball or anywhere else, what was something that you researched that really surprised you that you would like to share?
2: Yeah, I'll stick stick with the front of the book also. Um, So what I wrote for there was kind of what were – maybe a trend we're going to start seeing from defenses now. And I think it's kind of, I, I, I pose it as anti-aggressive. So not necessarily conservative, because I don't think conservative is the right word, but I think when, you know, you think of aggressive defenses um, you know, that's, you know, a lot of blitzing, a lot of man coverage. And we're just seeing that at the lowest rates uh, across the league about uh, only 25% of, of dropbacks had a blitz. Uh, this year and that was the lowest uh, in, in years um, and it, it keeps decreasing also so i think we're going to be seeing that i think we're seeing you know there's so many quarterbacks i wrote this during the year there's quarterbacks that are just on like a, a do not blitz list um you know the matthew staffords uh, the uh tom brady's uh of the world like you Defenses just aren't blitzing these guys because they're so good at knowing where the blitz is coming from and, and hitting the hole when it's there. So, defenses are starting to get less aggressive in that way, but they're flooding more. Um, defenders into coverage you know into those you know shallow areas uh, of the field and it's making you know short passes uh, harder to complete so so it's it's a bit of a give and take there so I think like as we start to like really see the Fangio defense start to take over a little bit um, I think we're going to see less blitzing we're going to see less straight up man coverage and we're still going to see some of the you know zone match type of stuff so we're still going to see elements of that but I think the overall just like blitz and play man coverage that we see a lot of aggressive that we think of aggressive defenses like that's just not going to be the case for a lot of defenses in this league and and we're just going to see a lot more zone a lot more dropping and just flooding more defenders into zones to make this passing harder
0: yeah i remember obviously one of the just most frustrating defensive philosophies out there was when Wink Martindale for the Ravens just game after game continued to blitz Patrick Mahomes every time they played the Kansas City Chiefs and it's like don't you learn your lesson why don't you adjust or adapt for this one particular opponent and obviously we saw them finally come around a little bit more last season but now he is gone Um, and Baltimore has a new defensive coordinator uh, there so we probably you know we'll see the Ravens for example be blitzing a lot less and a lot more intelligently in twenty two did in 2021 what about you ryan what's something that surprised you the most
3: yeah well since i wrote up
0: the uh, unit rankings i'm going to reference the one team there
3: that surprised me the most in terms of how we ranked them across the board and if you look at an average of all the unit rankings again not um not accounting for positional value or anything like that just rating each unit ranking equally the cleveland browns have the second best roster in the league based on our unit ranking i shocked to see them up so high But looking at them across the board, we're pretty high on them in almost every position. Top-ranked backfield, top-ranked offensive line, top five in the front seven, top five in the secondary. We have Stefanski as our 11th-ranked head coach. Basically, we're really high on the Browns, but obviously there's this, you know, the wild card out there is quarterback. How much of Watson do we get, if any? And if he's not there, does that just the whole team? They're such a fascinating team for this reason. I was really surprised to see just how high up we had them on the board because really this team is built to win right now. And yet they have the big question mark in the league, maybe at quarterback. So they're just, they're such a fascinating team uh, to see what unfolds for them, uh, especially early in the season when there's still so much uncertainty at quarterback.
0: No doubt. And I wrote a lot in the chapter on the Browns about, kind of my frustrations with that coaching staff this year. Obviously I was such a proponent of Kevin Stefanski during that 2020 season. We bet him to win coach of the year before the season started. So obviously we were extremely happy when he won, but I just wasn't in love with some of the things that he was doing with Baker Mayfield down the stretch, especially given Baker's injuries and limitations there. Um, I think it's going to be really interesting. If Watson is there and plays a lot next season, and the ceiling is just enormously high for this team because of how great Watson is. And I wrote about him in the, I think, in the Houston Texans chapter a little bit as well. Uh, but if he's not there, Jacoby Brissett is just, in my opinion, so much of a drop off compared to what a healthy Baker was, compared to what a Desha- Deshaun Watson will be, that, you know, I think Kevin Savancy's got his work cut out for him big time. So, uh, but th- you're right, the rest of this roster is, is is quite built up. I'll go to you, Tucker. Anything here hit uh, the the bell for you in terms of something that really surprised you that you want to share? Yeah, one thing
4: I thought was interesting and one of the teams that I, I think be might be the most intriguing uh, of the years, the Indianapolis Colts, the team that had the most pro bowlers a year ago and, and still failed to make the postseason. The one thing we highlighted in the book is their first half explosive play rate was tops in the NFL in 2020. They led the league in that category, and last year that dropped off to to 28th with Carson Wentz under center. And you look what Matt Ryan did a year ago in Atlanta. He was fourth in uh, on-target accuracy on deep passes. I think he was fifth on medium passes. And you look at their weapons down the field. They still have Michael Pittman, who I think was a revelation to a lot of us a year ago. They add Alec Pierce from Cincinnati who comes in with a very similar skill set, a guy who can go down the field and make contested catches. And you add that dynamic and you add that, you know, new new piece to this offense that really just ran Jonathan Taylor as deep as it could. And it could add a whole new dimension to a team that, even though they won a lot of football games and, and failed to make the postseason, I think there's a lot of room for them to grow and not only compete for the, the NFC South division, but an but AFC title.
0: Yeah, Indianapolis is a really interesting team because as much as I love Frank Reich, I do not know what the hell he's doing at the beginning of the season. Uh, This team has the worst record of any team in the NFL in week one for over a decade. They haven't won a single game. They have one of the worst records in their first five, six games of the season on an annual basis. And if they could fix some of those things, if they can figure out how to win in Jacksonville for once, if they can figure out how to play a little bit better against the Tennessee Titans, they will have an upgrade because Carson Wentz was legitimately a liability in multiple areas and particularly the accuracy, as you mentioned. He's the least accurate quarterback of any quarterback who has thrown at least 600 pass attempts over the last two years. And Matt Ryan is on the opposite end of the spectrum and being one of the more accurate quarterbacks that we have in the NFL. And the early quotes that were coming out of camp and some of the mini camp stuff is that, you know, these receivers, tight ends and receivers in camp were shocked at how the ball was right on time when they turned around. It was delivered right where it should be uh, into their bodies. And that was a big change from what they were experiencing from Carson Wentz uh, last season. So that's pretty uh, notable, obviously, as is your point there. Uh, Now to Curtis, What what do you think surprised you in your research the most?
5: Yeah, I think I'll touch on the Jaguars, obviously a little bit of addition by subtraction in the Urban Meyer coaching staff. But I think it's really interesting that the Jaguars in the first half of games were actually quite good on offense on first downs. They outgained their opponents by 0.7 yards of play. And this is a team that went 3-14, and negative uh, 204-point differential and scored less than 14 or 15 points per game, and yet on first down in the first half of games, they were outgaining their opponents. So it's really quite remarkable to look at the difference between Trevor Lawrence on first downs compared to second and third, and I think it was mostly second down where he struggled. Uh, in On first downs and first halves, he completed 74% of passes and was a top 10 quarterback. So it's hard to imagine that the Jaguars don't have more success this year after last year. So are they going to win 12 games? No, but they definitely should push their over under total there and definitely on the upswing for Trevor Lawrence and the Jaguars.
0: Yeah, and and you made this point already, but if you look at first downs, I wrote about it a lot in the chapter for the Jaguars, how efficient Trevor Lawrence was on first down. It's just that entire offense was off the rails after that point in time and There is no bigger upgrade than moving from Urban Meyer to Doug Peterson. And, you know, all of a sudden, Doug Peterson's tenure at the end of his Philadelphia time doesn't necessarily look that ridiculously bad when every single other guy that's tried to work with Carson Wentz has failed and then shipped him off, uh, you know, the very next season. So. Um, it doesn't seem that surprising that Doug Peterson struggled uh, with Carson Wentz. I think one of mine uh, that I researched that I just find very notable and interesting, a little nugget here is Arthur Smith was the Tennessee Titans head coach, obviously. Well, Tennessee Titans offensive coordinator for several years and Tennessee Titans had Derek Henry. And as we know, running the football on first downs is not the most efficient way to play this sport with the current rules. That being said, if there's one player that might make a coach consider going a little bit more run heavy, it's having Derrick Henry. And it's having that Titans offensive line, which was a decent run blocking offensive line. And, and so they ran the football at the NFL's highest rate on first down. And so it's probably not going to surprise you that Arthur Smith did that with Tennessee. It's probably also not going to surprise you that the year Arthur Smith left Tennessee Titans last year, ran the ball at the highest rate of anybody in the NFL on first down. But do you know the team that ran it at the second highest rate in the NFL last year? It shocked me to find out that Arthur Smith took the Atlanta Falcons that he took over and made them the number two most run-heavy team in the NFL on first downs. And why that was so shocking is this team in 2020 and in 2019, their O-line stinks. They are not a good run-blocking offensive line. They do not have backs like a Derrick Henry. They don't have some sort of a bell cow back that you're going to stick there and run the ball a lot with. They were a pass-first team on first downs with Matt Ryan because they could not run the football the year before uh, Arthur Smith took over. So Arthur Smith comes there, and all he does is bring his same philosophy that he utilized with Derrick Henry to the Atlanta Falcons and they're the number two most run heavy team on first downs. And were these runs efficient, were these runs successful, were these runs productive? Absolutely not on all three counts. They ranked 31st in EPA per attempt on first down runs. They ranked 30th in success rate and they ranked 29th in yards per carry. So, You know, I had higher hopes of Arthur Smith for what he was going to do with the Falcons, but this really lowered my ceiling on what I think he's going to get out of his team. If this is his philosophy, and what do you think is going to happen in 2022 when they no longer even have Matt Ryan? When Marcus Mariota is the one who's taking steps from behind center. Do you think all of a sudden he's going to say, hey, guess what? Let's start throwing the football a lot with Marcus Mariota. Or if they, for some reason, start Desmond Ritter, in the the, the quarterback uh, who's a rookie they drafted in the third round. I mean, they are not going to be throwing the ball a lot on these early downs in Atlanta. So just something to be prepared for and something notable that I was a little bit shocked about uh, when I was researching them. Let's go back to Rich and let's move over and start talking about some of the teams that we are highest on relative to public perception. And uh, again, in case you're tuning in a little bit late, I want to encourage you check my sticky tweet on Twitter or go to sharpfootballanalysis.com. We wrote for months about all these teams and research done. We put together 564 pages. Do not be overwhelmed at that number. Do not be intimidated. It's a very easy book to flip through. If you have it and you're flipping through it on your PDF file, I put so many different bookmarks in there to help you find your way and you can easily jump to team chapter to team chapter. Um, and there's a lot of great information there analysis. You're not going to find anywhere else and predictions about all of these teams. So please go pick up your copy. It's on sale for a limited time. Only on to you, Rich, what's a team that you are highest on relative to public perception?
1: Uh, I would say right now, uh, definitely the saints. Uh, so their team, like Ryan talked about the Browns, like when you look at their entirety of their roster, I think it's actually pretty underrated. Uh, you look at last year, they were five and two before Jameis Winston got hurt. They had to start three quarterbacks. One is now an NFL tight end. Uh, they were 29th in the league in, in targets and yardage from their wide receivers. They just, the, Avon Kamara was essentially their best wide receiver last year. Now you add Chris Lobby in the first round, you add Jarvis Landry. you potentially, maybe we'll see Michael Thomas play football this year, but that's already a match massive turnaround also when you look at offensive line continuity the saints last year their most frequent offensive line combination only played 167 total snaps together 15 of the snaps that's by far the lowest rate in the league for a team's most common used five offensive linemen caesar ruiz was the only offensive lineman to play a thousand snaps andrews pete missed six games Taryn Armstrong missed eight games ryan ramchick missed 10 games eric mccoy missed 12 games um, now, Trevor Penning replacing Taron Armstead, you know, coming from Northern Iowa in an FCS program and playing left tackle in the NFL is still a concern. But just by them having more health fortune this year, they're going to be a better unit. And then you talk about defensively on the side of the ball, like this defense is still excellent. I mean, they have one of the best edge groups in the NFL still in terms of getting after the quarterback. Demario Davis is one of the best underrated linebackers in the NFL they add Tyron Matthew to already a good cornerback unit Uh, and then when you talk about them losing their head coach and Sean Payton it's not like other head coaching situations where they lose the head coach where it's an upheaval all the continuity is still here Pete Carmichael still in the building Dennis Allen still in the building Uh, they're in the right division they have our ninth best strength of schedule by our our measurements Uh, they always play Tom Brady strong uh, and if you're worried about Avin Kamara potentially being suspended to start the year, I mean, they play Atlanta, Carolina, and Seattle in three of their first five games. Uh, so I think when I lay everything out, being in the NFC, it's hard to pick an AFC team because it's so loaded over there. But uh, right now, I think the Saints are basically, basically priced, I think, at their median outcome right now.
0: Yeah, the only thing that concerns me and it concerns everybody who looks at the Saints is the easiest thing to point to, but it really is a factor, is what are you getting out of Pete Carmichael? How much did he really contribute to this team? And one of the things that I look to first is, you know, well, what ha- has anybody else called plays in the NFL that came from the Saints that wasn't Sean Payton in recent years? And the only guy that I'm pointing to is like Joel Lombardi, who was very underwhelming with what he was doing with the L.A. Chargers last season in terms of understanding who he's working with and calling an offense to their strengths in terms of, target depth, etc., with uh, Justin Herbert and the LA Chargers. But uh, if Pete Carmichael is not a big drop-off, you're right. This is a perfect division to be in because you've got a couple teams that have question marks at head coach, question marks at a lot of the position players on their offense and, and defense as well. And, and this is a team that always plays Tom Brady really tough, as you just mentioned. Um, and one of the things that we know about Tom Brady in general is – He's a guy that tries to figure things out down the stretch, right? All the years in New England, they're getting on a roll late in the season, and the Saints are fortunate that they get him in week two. So in week two, maybe you still have some of this Dennis Allen trickery that he's able to pull out to really slow them down, uh, steal a win there. In New Orleans week two, um, and start off the season 2-0 and potentially 3-0 if they can go upset likely Baker Mayfield in Carolina in week three. Uh, let's go to you, Dan what is a team that you are higher on relative to public perception this year? Uh,
2: I don't know if this is cheating or not because it's a a fairly well-regarded team, but uh, to be actually higher on them, I still believe I am. And it's the chargers. Um, Ryan can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think when we go through the unit rankings, they are the top team um, just because they're, they're good all over the place. Um, You know, I wrote about for the site where the, the defense um, you know, it improved in where it needed to. Like Sebastian Joseph Day is a guy that just made a whole bunch of sense. Uh, and exactly what they needed. Like when you add Khalil Mack uh, to that lineup you have two of the best like run defending edge rushers too and we're not going to talk about run defense a lot but that's where the charges were really bad um last year and then you look at jc jackson you add all that other stuff on the defensive side of the ball that they had i think they're going to do some fun three safety stuff with moving derwin james around uh, a whole bunch um so i think like you look at what the charges are and i think a lot of people like consider them you know toward the top of the afc but like I think they're the best team in the AFC and I think they uh, could potentially be that with all they can do on offense, barely any of that change. I think they're going to get a little better on early downs too. So we don't have to you know, rely on Justin Herbert God mode on third downs, but the fact that he is able to do that kind of has a, I think the, the floor is really high uh, for what that offense is going to be. And I really like what they did on the defensive side of the ball. I think they finally have, one of those things where the personnel is going to match what they wanted to do structurally that they couldn't just pull off last year. Uh, So I think that's really going to change. And uh, I, I think they should be considered the best team in the AFC right now.
0: I think that they're certainly the most talented. I, I won't disagree with you there. And this is a team as I wrote in the, in the, in my section in the book that the only way this team does not go on an extended run in the postseason is either because of injuries or coaching, because from a roster perspective, I love what they did there. The GM did a great job of filling those voids and adding the pieces that he needed to address. Thanks to Justin Herbert being on a rookie deal, you know, you look at a team like the Chicago Bears is doing nothing. It has the, one of the cheapest offenses in the entirety of the NFL for Justin Fields and you have Justin Herbert over here and they are just giving him everything they possibly can. Uh, They're obviously filling the voids offensively and defensively, uh, particularly on defense through free agency. And I I think that they made a lot of very intelligent moves on that side of the ball. I'll go to you, Ryan, Uh, which team are you higher on than the market?
3: Yeah I'll take a little bit of a risk and I'll say the Raiders risky obviously because that division is so stacked and someone's got to come in last maybe it could be them Um, but I think that they have a chance to really outperform expectations because the one weakness the one really obvious weakness is the offensive line that was by far their worst ranking uh, in our unit ranks but the addition of Devontae Adams I think really changes how It changes their ability to mask that weakness because he is so good on short routes. And so when Carr needs to get the ball out quickly, Adams really adds a new dimension to the offense and what they can do on those quick plays. And obviously that's an area where Hunter Renfro also excels. So now they've got two weapons that are really dominant when they need to get the ball out quickly. So I think they're going to be able to cover up that weakness. And obviously Adams was dominant in Green Bay on those plays. Uh, Last year, EPA per dropback, when getting rid of the ball in 2.5 seconds or less, Aaron Rodgers led the league. But if you look only at Rodgers' snaps without Adams on the field, Rodgers would have ranked 29th. Now, that's a huge difference. We probably can't attribute all of it to Adams, but it does underscore just how valuable he is on those types of plays. He, He really excels at getting open quickly, and so adding that dimension... I think it allows the Raiders to cover up, really, their only major
0: weakness. Yeah, this is a team, um, I think that they are fortunate that they play a lot of young quarterbacks as well this season. The only trick is, if you look at the way that the schedule falls for them, they are playing all of these guys late in the season. They get Davis Mills in Week 7, they get Trevor Lawrence in Week 9, they get Drew Locke potentially up in Seattle in week 12. They get Mac Jones in week 15. Mitchell Trubisky and or Kenny Pickett is week 16. And then most likely Trey Lance uh, in week 17. So they're downfield, down the hill in the season against these quarterbacks. is going to be easier than you might expect. Uh, but these guys all could take some steps by that point in time. So they may not be what they look like in week one. Whereas if you look at what the Raiders start with, their first five weeks, Justin Herbert, Kyler Murray, Ryan Tannehill, Russell Wilson, and Patrick Mahomes. It's a brutal start to the season in terms of opposing quarterbacks. I'm interested to see how this defense holds up um, and how that pairing of Josh McDaniels with uh, their car will end up going early on in the season if this team is struggling a little bit and what adjustments that they can make. The one thing I'll add here is that we know that I was at least frustrated with their usage and uh, uh, let's say lack of usage of intelligent Johnny Smith and the two tight end pairings up in new England last year. I actually think that they should be using a lot of two tight end pairings here with the them with uh, the Raiders this upcoming season. I think it makes the most sense that they use uh, more 12 personnel with what they're doing here. So I'm really interested to see how McDaniels goes about attempting to implement that because I mean, if you throw on, we know that Derek Carr struggles with pressure and we know that his offensive line is not what it once was. Uh, so they've taken a step back, but if you stick Foster Moreau out there along with Darren Waller, let Waller run route, split him out and then get Devante and Hunter Renfro on the field at the same time with a back. I and mean, that's going to be a difficult defense, uh, difficult offense for defenses to prepare for. Um, okay. We'll go to you, Tucker. Is there a team that you feel a little bit better about than the marketplace does right now?
4: Uh, I'm going to
0: step out on a pretty big limb here, and
4: I'm going to pick the Carolina Panthers. And I know a lot of people are going to laugh or or snicker, but maybe this is the the Temple Owl in me rooting for Matt Rule once again. But I look at this team, and I look at what they were a year ago, and I know the addition of Baker Mayfield probably doesn't affect the outlook of this team long term. But for 2022, he's a huge upgrade over what Sam Darnold was a year ago. You look at three of their – they only won five games last year. Three of them, they won the turnover battle. Um, their minus-13 turn differential is one of the worst in the NFL. They were 2-6 and six in one-possession games, which is something that can turn pretty quickly. And I look at the beginning of the schedule. Their, their first four games are certainly winnable early on in the season. You look at how they start the season. They play a Bengals team that might be starting Jacoby Brissett because we don't know how the Deshaun Watson thing's going. They play a Giants team who was atrocious a year ago, and depending on how, how Brian Dable goes and, and that whole situation, we're not sure how they're going to play. And then they play a Saints team. They blew out last year with uh, Jameis Winston on their center. And the Cardinals team, they beat with uh, P.J. Walker starting uh, against them on the road. I just I look at this team, and I know their pass rush is going to take a bit of a step back because they lost to Son Reddick and didn't necessarily replace him. But if they can get the 2020 version of Baker Mayfield, which is asking a lot because he looked nothing like that guy a year ago. I mean, Baker Mayfield in 2020 had a total QBR of about 65, which would have ranked third in the NFL last year ahead of Justin Herbert, behind only Aaron Rodgers, and I believe Tom Brady. So when I look, if they can get average quarterback play from Baker Mayfield and they can have their offensive line shored up a little bit with the addition of Ikiakuanu at left tackle, this is a team in an incredibly weak division that I don't know if they can push for the postseason, but them getting over five wins and
0: pushing for 500 certainly is attainable. Well, they're going to need it. Matt Rule made that desperate. I don't, I guess, I think it's fairly desperate, but they didn't have to give up a lot. Uh, They didn't have to give up a lot to get Baker Mayfield. Like, I, I have to divorce myself from the way that I feel this team is building themselves the wrong way with trying to find their franchise quarterback, as opposed to just like, resetting and trying to draft a the guy they keep bringing these guys but the, none of that matters for 2022 right like you have to understand like the process stinks and it's stunk for a while but now you've got baker mayfield and now this is the team and how many wins are they going to get this season and i will say I spent a lot of time researching this obviously Dan was really pissed when uh, Baker Mayfield got traded because we had the Carolina Panthers buttoned up sealed. And we were like, there's a couple days before we were finalizing all the edits on the book. And then we had to go back in and every single person had to rewrite their section, some a little bit more work than others. And then Dan had to edit everything again uh, because of the Baker Mayfield trade. So it was brutal. But what I'll say is that Baker Mayfield in 2021 was much better at the beginning of the season, much worse when he sustained these injuries and I have no idea why he thought it was in his best interest to try to keep playing through these injuries. He looked terrible. He was probably right like I did not see the coaching staff utilizing him in the best situations and you have to read the book to understand what I'm talking about. There was a number of things I called out that like the splits were quite apparent, and what worked for Baker in the past, they were not doing it very much, and he was even worse with his injury and his limitations last season. I just think it would have been in his best interest to just pack it in. He proved nothing by continuing to play terribly down the stretch. Um, but at any rate, here we are, um, and, and that is a that is a uh, a good take from you because that is some something that not as many people are high on, even with them adding Baker Mayfield. Uh, let's finish with you, Curtis, the team that you are higher on the market perception.
5: Yeah, I originally agreed with Dan, and I'm a big Chargers fan, and I think Justin Herbert is ready to take a step to take that team to deepen the playoffs in the AFC. But I will pivot to another young quarterback, and I will go with the 49ers instead. I know a lot of their success is going to hinge on Trey Lance, but – I don't see his floor being any lower than Jimmy G's. And add in that rushing ability, I think the ceiling is quite a bit higher. The way the offense was schemed, it's a more kind of short throws with elite receivers getting open with a lot of yards after the catch. And I don't think Lance will have too much of a problem stepping in that role and making those throws. And you've got Kittle, Debo, and Ayuk who are just absolute beasts at their position, so I think they can help uh, Lance with his success. And then I think a couple of teams got worse in the division. Uh, The Seahawks, obviously, with the loss of Russ, and then I think the Cardinals are due for a little bit of defensive regression. They put up some pretty reasonable numbers, and I don't know if that's as legit this year. And then the Rams, as well, are an injury away from being that they're so top heavy. They-
0: well, I just lost Curtis. Um, so uh, Curtis will have to rejoin us here uh, in a second, but um, assuming everybody can still hear me. Uh, we're going to go ahead and, and, and pivot and talk about teams that we are lower on. But before we get into that, I do want to mention this one thing and that is what kind of we're giving away. And, you know, the book is up on the website. It's on sale right now. You can tell that all of us have provided a lot of good analysis, hopefully thus far on this call. And we're going to continue for another 30 minutes, but we have so much more in the book and we've been researching this for a long time. So go grab your copy of the book from sharpfootballanalysis.com while it is on sale, because that sale will end this week and start digging into the book. We are also giving out futures this year. We have last year, uh, whoever's a client on here can attest. I didn't have a whole lot of futures to start the season. Historically, we've done really well with futures. The last four years, we've hit 65% on non-long shot futures that we bet in the off season before the football season starts. Very good through the months of research in the off season that identifying teams to bet on or against betting win totals or futures and things of that nature. Um, last year, I didn't have a lot. I didn't love a lot. This year, we have a lot that we love. And typically we would wait until closer to for clients until closer to the start of preseason and let a couple of games go by. We're not doing that this year. We are releasing a first wave of futures starting tomorrow up on sharpfootballanalysis.com tomorrow afternoon. So there's a early bird package to get the futures. We're going to give away three free futures packages right now on the air. Uh, well, we're not going to do it on the air. The way you disqualify is simple. Just, Quote tweet my sticky tweet. Tell people why you like the book. Tell people to go buy the book. Something that you like about the book. We're going to pick people that have quote tweeted that from now until later on tonight. And first thing tomorrow morning, we're going to give three of you free access to the futures this season. So highly encourage you, buy the book and you can get a shot at getting some free futures as well. Uh, And if you don't win on that, Get the futures package, too, because uh, there's going to be some good stuff in there. And we're going to be hitting futures all season long, by the way. Um, okay. so next up on the list, we're going to run through teams that we are lower on this season relative to public perception. And I'll go back around to the top of the list and hit you, Rich. Who are you lower on than public perception this year?
1: uh it, it's such a cliche but uh the super bowl losers uh the cincinnati Bengals. i mean this is a team that I, I love a lot of the talent here and a lot of the young players but i mean this is a team they they were 10 and 7 in the regular season they played the softest schedule of opposing pass offenses last year the sixth easiest set of opposing pass defenses they were 17th in dvoa they were 17th in next next success rate uh Versus, like I said, the third easiest schedule overall. They also, opponents made the fifth lowest field goal rate against them. They also are one of the healthiest teams in the NFL. Their schedule absolutely flips this year. It's brutal, especially after their post-9 bye. Like, it's absolutely a slog down down the stretch here. And I also, man, I just don't know if I really believe in Zach Taylor still. I mean, you know, I feel like talent overcame what he was doing last year and I'm going to need to see some big changes they were below pass rate expectation on early downs they were 29th the NFL in pace of play I think the Ravens will be significantly better than they were last year we already talked about we're high in the Browns roster the Steelers literally have alligator blood like Mike Tomlin never lets them suck uh so I mean it's it's cliche to kind of go back to the Super Bowl the hangover but uh definitely the Bengals for me are a team that I think uh probably a little bit are ahead of, are ahead of the markets a little bit ahead
0: of still let me bang this question to you real quick to follow up on that, Rich. Uh, obviously, as the fantasy guru, um, and you talked about their passing rate below expectation, what do you see from them this year adding those couple of weapons along the offensive line to beef things up? We know that they struggled. Ryan uh, Ryan McChrystal talked to us a lot about you know yards before contact, and this team was amongst the worst in the league last year. They could not get these backs going out of the backfield with regularity. Uh, do you think that they they're playing a much more difficult schedule last year? They played the easiest schedule of opposing run defenses. This year, I haven't pegged to be about average uh, in difficulty. Do you see upside from the run game uh, improving at all with those uh, new offensive linemen? Or do you think do you see a team that is going to be in less favorable situations potentially due to the difficult schedule and not having as many opportunities to run the football?
1: I mean, I think the counting stats will be there offensively. There's too much
0: talent for the counting stats not
1: to be there. I just think also when you look at the Bengals and how they operated last year, partly what I believe is due to Zach Taylor is the volatility of their offense. I mean, they go up and down. I mean, we you know, in, in week fifteen, this is a team that really struggled to move the football, you know, in Denver, and then, you know, they, they blow up the next two weeks. Uh, and then in the playoffs, I mean, they do nothing against the Titans really. They they steal that game, you know, but due to some great Mike Frabel coaching the last four minutes of that game uh, the first half they no-show uh, uh, you know against the against the Chiefs, Chiefs so, yep. so I mean yeah it's it's just really hard for me to say that like they're one of the elite teams I feel like they kind of just got by at the right time and I don't want to take anything necessarily away from what they did last year hell, hell they almost had a chance to win that Super Bowl um, but yeah I still think that when I look at the AFC in totality and I look at their roster Uh, They're a team I think that's more like I almost want to call them a little bit like an upgrade of what we saw, like a little bit of what like the Cowboys from the last few years where they're great, great offenses, opportunistic defenses. But, you know, does the coaching get in the way still? So uh, Zach Taylor still has to win me over. All right.
0: It's on you, Zach. It's on you. Uh, All right, Dan, who's a team that you're a little bit down on compared to public perception this year? Tagged up, unmute. There you
2: go. Uh, yeah, that was perfect. No notes.
0: Uh, <laughs> you're on, you're with the Bengals as well?
2: I'm, I'm on the Bengals too. Yeah. Uh, okay. Richard, uh, everything
0: I, I would have said, so uh, we can move on. Okay. All right. There you go. That's quick enough. Um, Ryan, how about you?
3: Well, I'll stick in the same division and I'm going to say the Steelers. The big reason for me is. Uh, the offensive line is still a mess. Obviously, they made some changes, but it's not like Mason Cole and James Daniel moved the needle all that much. It's still going to be a big weakness. Um, but the change at quarterback, I think, has a potential to be a bigger have a bigger impact on this team than a lot of people realize. Because obviously, Roethlisberger was a liability at times last year and over the past few years. You know, he just he fell apart at the end of his career, but the one thing he still did really well was get rid of the ball quickly. And that was necessary playing behind that offensive line. Now when Kenny Pickett takes over, that's Kenny Pickett's biggest weakness. That was the one big giant red flag on his scouting report was he holds the ball way too long. So from that perspective, Pickett kind of landed in a one of the worst situations for him. So You know, maybe Mitchell Trubisky starts for them at the beginning of the season. and Maybe he's closer to Roethlisberger. But I think we all got to assume we're going to see Pickett at some point, right? And so if you put Pickett's biggest weakness and you match it up with one of the Steelers' biggest weaknesses, I think it's going to be a mess when Pickett first gets onto the field. Now, You know, they could sort that out over time. Maybe Pickett ends up being the long-term solution for them. But speaking strictly about this season, I think he's really going to struggle uh, just because of how his weakness just pairs perfectly with their biggest flaw on offense.
0: And you know, I'll piggyback on to another uh, angle that you kind of were, was alluding to there. And that is the run rate that the Steelers had last year. They were obviously one of the most pass heavy teams with Ben Roethlisberger. And because of that, they were facing a ton of light boxes. They faced the third lowest rate of seven plus man boxes in the NFL, meaning defenses were playing light boxes against them with frequency. And yet all the other teams that faced light boxes with regularity, even you know, Steelers, I said third, third uh, lowest that was 30th in the NFL. All these other teams that played against light boxes were efficient when they were running the football. They had good yards before contact from their running backs um, and the Steelers ranked 30th in yards before contact, despite playing the 30th most seven-plus man boxes in the NFL. So they couldn't, their O-line could not generate space for their backs, despite playing light boxes at the third highest rate in the NFL. How do we think that that is going to change this year, now that Roethlisberger isn't a quarterback and they are clearly not going to be throwing the football as much defenses are probably going to play with heavier box counts against these guys. They're going to run the football even more. And if they couldn't run against light boxes last year, now they're going to have to figure out a way to run against normal boxes this year more frequently. And I think that's going to be very difficult. And do I think that they are going to run more this year? Well, yes, you've got the quarterback situation, whether it's Trubisky or Pickett, but secondarily, what did Rooney talk about? A couple of years ago, and, and and I see Vaughn is listening here, and Vaughn's old Steelers guy. I mean, Rooney wanted this team to get back to the run. He wanted this. He told everybody in the offseason, we are going to figure out a better way to run the football. And yet, you still have Ben Roethlisberger, and you're not able to run the ball much uh, efficiently. So they passed the ball still at a high rate last year. I can guarantee you. This team is turning heavily to what their ownership wants them to do, which is focus more on the run with young quarterbacks, less experienced than Roethlisberger this year. And that could be a big problem for a team with an O-line like this that struggled to run the football against light boxes last year. And so I wrote a b- lot more about this in the Steelers chapter in the book. If Again, if you haven't got the book, go check it out. What are you waiting for? Um, all right, we'll go over to you, Tucker, a team that you are lower on than the market right now.
4: Yeah, I I would agree with Ryan. I have the Steelers down as well. Maybe we're all just low on the the AFC North uh, in general, but I I agree. I look at the Steelers last year. I look at how they were successful and the things that they did well, and I don't know if the moves they made in this offseason, obviously the retirement of Ben Roethlisberger was inevitable, but I don't know if they necessarily upgraded the quarterback position the way some people thought. I don't think the addition of Mitchell Trubisky is something that should get people excited. And Kenny Pickett, if he turns out to be a franchise quarterback, is still a couple of years away from realizing that potential. And I look at, you mentioned that offensive line, and just how tough they ran Najee Harris pretty much into the ground the entire season, just pounding the ball and pounding the ball into light boxes, but still were unable to really gain momentum the way some other run heavy team offenses, such as the Titans, such as the Eagles were able to, and, I just I I look at this team and I look at their division and you know we can mention the Cincinnati Bengals even Cleveland who I don't know if a ton of people are high on based on the Deshaun Watson thing or Baltimore who they're going to have Lamar Jackson coming back and they were in first place when he went down. I look at them with three teams in their division who you could say are playoff teams. They might be fourth right now. They they might be you know in the back of the AFC North
0: as we sit here today. Well, I mean, Rich and Dan are down on the Bengals. You and Ryan are down on the Steelers. And the free chapter that we gave out earlier this year was for the Baltimore Ravens. And in that free chapter, I was higher on the Baltimore Ravens. So, I mean, that's a chapter. You guys go just check that out. You can read the whole chapter completely for free. Uh, Just go onto the website and you'll be able to find the free chapter for the uh, Sharp Football Uh, football 2022 football preview, and you can read all about what I wrote about the uh, Baltimore Ravens there. All right, Curtis, we got you back here, buddy. Uh, give me a team that you're lower on than public perception. at this. Sorry
5: if I cut out again. Having some problems with my connection here. Um, not going to earn myself a lot of friends up here in Western Canada as we have a lot of Seahawks fans being close to Seattle, but. I'm going to go with Seattle here first. I'll start with Pete Carroll and his game planning in 2022 of just wanting to run the ball and run play defense. Uh, They had the most kicks inside the other, their opponents side last of midfield last year. So there's that. And uh, they're going to face a much harder schedule this year that, think it's the eighth largest jump and they've also got the chargers the bucks the rams twice the chiefs they open against russ so losing russ i think their roster has a lot of deficiencies as it is so uh, they were rumored to be in the baker mayfield sweepstakes i i just don't see if that was a good idea like if you're going to rebuild and trade russ i i think they're going to finish as one of the bottom teams and i don't think it's a bad thing for the franchise going forward so I'm, I'm going with the seahawks i don't think people should be rooting for them to win just just burn it down in one year and then just restart with the elite quarterback again but we'll see how that goes a,
0: f- a few teams are in that boat um and i think a few teams in some cases it's weird how these teams work the 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 ownership probably would be better suited to do that. And then the coaches are desperate to not have another losing season. And they think they need to save their jobs by trying to figure out a way to win when it's in the franchise's best interest to restart. And that's an interesting dichotomy that a few teams this year are going to face. Um, All right. We're going to go a little bit faster in this question. And I want to ask, I'll start with you, Rich, which players do you think, or player, will go through, everybody can throw out one if they want to, uh, do you think we'll exceed expectations this year? Is there is there a particular guy, obviously relative to public perception at current time, that you're higher on the market?
1: Uh, I mean, he's getting steamed by everyone's favorite analyst, but uh, pretty easily Michael Pittman. Uh, I think he's definitely about to ascend into kind of like a, a superstar wide receiver. I don't think anyone really realizes how good he is. He's got that alpha body type we look for. He's going to just absolutely command a, a just wealth of targets in that Colts offense. When you look at Zach Pascal and T. Y. Hilton, were the number two and three wide receivers and targets on that team a year ago? They're no longer on the roster. You've got uh, a rookie and Alec Pierce you we've already heard Tucker lay out the case for Matt Ryan and and Matt Ryan was better than Carson wants in just an objectively heinous environment last year and you've talked about Arthur Smith already uh you know and 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 just him for him from an on-target perspective from a clean pocket perspective he's just going to get a lot better looks to Michael Pittman so I think we're ready for another step into the Michael Pittman ascension. I'm ready
0: for it. And they're going to need it if if they're going to hit the marks that they want to. And we already know uh, their ownership was absolutely not happy with the way that their season ended and the way that Carson Wentz performed late. So uh, if if they want to make some noise in the postseason, they are going to need Pittman to step up. And he definitely has that opportunity. Dan, how about you? Is there a player you think is going to, see to exceed expectations on either side of the football here for you?
2: Yeah, I mean, if you've listened to, uh, to Sharp Angles at any point, you know the answer, uh, the top answer here would be A.J. Terrell, uh, who was already really good, but I think just didn't get uh, enough credit. But it's, it's kind of slowly, we're, we're coming around as a group to giving him the, the credit he deserves. Um, but if there's someone in like the A.J. Terrell kind of uh, mold here, uh, I'd say watch out for uh, Christian Fulton in Tennessee. Uh, similar uh, the type of guy. He had a really good you know, underrated season last year that kind of went uh, under the radar. Tennessee had a uh, much better defense than, than giving credit for, especially because I think we kind of focused on how the offense was not very good. Tennessee just obviously wasn't uh, good enough uh, to be like the the number one seed that they were, so we kind of looked down on on what they were doing. But uh, as far as what Christian Fulton did, he was you know one of the better cornerbacks uh, in coverage last year. He had the rough playoff game uh, against Cincinnati, but um, you know outside of that, played really well. I think they're doing some cool things um, defensively from what they you know moved on from you know from like Mike Vrabel. Uh, they're doing some some different things now uh, with, with their coverages. So uh, another uh, type of uh, breakout from Christian Fulton. Okay. Ryan, how about you?
3: Yeah, I'll go to the offensive line and say Panay Sewell in his second year. Now, he probably won't surprise Lions fans because I'm sure they're well aware of how he closed last season. But you know, I think the general public uh, might not be aware of just how good he was down the stretch last year. He was thrown into the fire at left tackle, filling in for Taylor Decker, but he started the final eight games at right tackle, and when lined up at right tackle, he allowed the fifth lowest pressure rate in the league last season. He was just flat-out dominant once he got over to that spot, and if you remember late last season, the Lions' offense actually became kind of fun at times. I don't think that's a coincidence that it happened once he got over there and Decker was at left tackle, so I think the Lions' offensive line is going to be really good, and I think Sewell's going to be one of the best in the league at that right tackle position this season.
4: Tucker, how about you? Uh, I would look at running back, and I would look at Javante Williams in, in Denver. He was someone that I was excited for as a rookie. He finished like 1,300 yards um, out of the backfield, which I think was 12th among all running backs. But you also look you know, a little bit deeper. He was second in the league in, in missed tackles behind only Jonathan Taylor. He's someone going into a second year with Russell Wilson now in that offense, kind of alleviating some of the pressure, making those boxes a little bit lighter if he can wrestle more of a, a share of that workload from melvin gordon who comes back on just a, a one-year kind of minimum deal it, it could be huge and he could be a guy who really takes a leap this year i'm
0: i'm gonna personally throw out tua and and you can consider me part of non, and you can say uh that you don't like me or that you do like me because of it but what Tua has gone through the last couple of years uh, from a coaching perspective to me is very remarkable. Uh, it is absurd that he was inserted into an offense that was run by a grandfather who came back after retirement and designed this offense completely for Ryan Fitzpatrick, a former player of his, that made very few adjustments for a rookie making his first start in the NFL That was the 2020 season as Tua was coming back off of a catastrophic hip injury. And then, and of course, dealing with COVID and then not being able to even get the proper off season for him. And then of course, last year, I wrote about it in the book. I can tell you they had no fucking clue who was going to be calling plays even 10 days before the start of the season, which of their co-offense coordinators is actually going to be calling what for this team. That's not good for any quarterback. They had receivers that created the worst separation of any unit in the NFL. Thus, they had to be one of the most extremely aggressive quarterback teams out there every single quarterback that was on this team over the last couple of years whether it was ryan fitzpatrick or tua or jacoby brissett was throwing into tight windows at rates higher than any other team out there because they could not get any separation and it also led to a ton of inability to gain yards after the catch when you're throwing to guys that are completely blanketed in coverage guess what those guys aren't probably going to create a lot of yak and that's exactly what was happening um we do have question marks can Mike McDaniel actually call play since he, we haven't seen him do that very much This, you know, in his career at all? But the fact of the matter is the offensive system that he's bringing from San Francisco is very conducive to creating easier completions for quarterbacks, throwing it to more open receivers, and to gaining more yards after the catch. All of these things should make life easier on Tua. I haven't even gotten into the run game, which should be there. Their run game was terrible last year. The O-line was terrible. They couldn't run the football effectively, so that didn't help matters whatsoever. Obviously, that was Mike McDaniel's background. It was in the run game. If we can get a little bit more support on the ground, it should open up. I don't want them going throughout of let's run the ball early and only throw it late and limit what we ask Tua to do. No, of course, what we want is more passes on early downs because that's where we're going to get more looks that are going to be uh, positive for a quarterback to be throwing into but all things considered I mean I am hopeful that Tua makes a nice jump this season and uh, it'll be certainly interesting to see the Twitter space if he does or does not if he does obviously the people who are backing him are going to be out there pounding their chest and if he does not everybody else who thinks that he stinks is going to come out of the woodwork and and say he's like one of the Hottest button quarterbacks out there. If you say anything about him, it's, you're either higher than on market or lower than market, and people have strong opinions on him one way or another, so he's an interesting guy uh, to discuss. Okay, let's hit another question here, and we'll run through this one quickly, and that is, um, let's go around the horn again, starting with you, Rich, uh, and I'll ask you, is there a player or a unit um, that you are, that you are concerned about this season that you have a little bit of concern for their 2020 season
1: yeah it's uh gonna be an extremely hot take and we saved it for now uh it's the chargers pass catchers uh and i know that sounds hot right now but let me explain it because we've already seen dan lay out some of the problems they've had symptom- symptomatically in early downs you've talked about justin herbert's eight adot but it's a symptom of their best players on offense uh, Keenan Allen's gonna be 30 years old. He's regressed four straight years in terms of yards per route run. His de- he's never been a high dot guy. They have to throw a hundred times to Austin Eckler out of the backfield. So you're already <laughs> 300 carries or uh, 300 targets to low eight out players. Mike Williams, if you, who even had a breakout year last year, if you look at some of the work that, you know, guys like Matt Harmon has done and you look at his splits versus man coverage, he was still subpar against, against man coverage. This team needs vertical playmakers. They need guys that, that win in, in terms of winning in routes. Uh, and routes. Th- and it's a question mark still. Justin Herbert can only do so much. Uh, this team needs a lot of influx on speed. And I'm genuinely concerned that they don't have it uh, to, to really kind
0: of punch up. Well, it definitely is a hot take because there are a lot of people that are hot on the Chargers. So throwing any type of cold water on something as good as their offense is going to raise some eyebrows. But you did write about that. Uh, in the book and I think it's uh, it's a worthwhile note, especially if you look at down the stretch this season and that brutal schedule that they're going to play after that Falcons game in week nine it, it is really difficult when you look at their opponents. Okay, Dan, is there a team or unit that you're concerned about this season?
2: Yeah, I mean, not that it's going to like really impact anything you know in the long term or you know who's going to win a division or anything, but who's going to cover anyone for the Giants? Um, and we, you know, kind of talked about it in the beginning with some of these like blitzes. And when we brought up, you know, Wink Martindale, who is the defensive coordinator, and all he wants to do is blitz and play man coverage on the back end. And uh, the Giants do not have uh, any any corners uh, to do that right now. It's Dory Jackson and the end of list. So when you look at that, and I think when you're, you know, there, I think they're going to be a very popular defense to uh, to target. Uh, in some daily fantasy and some, you know, just regular fantasy in general, because I feel like there's going to be a lot of passing done on that uh, defense because, man, there's just there's not a lot there.
0: Yes, it's, it's it's crazy because obviously we have it's sort of like the Carolina Panthers situation to an extent, and that is that we have our expectations of new coaching staff and a new GM and how much of an upgrade that was over what was there. Um, but what are they? that doesn't matter for this season. It's going to factor in a little bit this season, but they can't do enough with the players that are currently there. It's going to take that GM, a few years to get that roster to where he actually wants it with his fingerprints all over it right now. He's still trying to clean up Dave Gettleman's mess. And that mess was one sloppy as hell mess. The parents left town for the weekend. The kids had a house party the first night and everybody puked all over the floor. And then they just didn't bother to clean it up. And the parents came home early on Saturday and that thing stinks to high heaven and is a massive problem and you're going to need some support to come in there and help clean up that disaster. That's what I think the giants are looking at. Um, and I love Brian Dable. I'm a massive Dable proponent. I do think that this offense is going to look dramatically better because it's almost as if they were intentionally attempting to be inefficient on early downs and just save everything for Daniel Jones to do, um, become Superman and clean things up on third downs. Obviously, that did not work last season. I think there is more that you can squeeze out of Daniel Jones uh, for this upcoming season because of using because Dable will use him more. Uh, efficiently on early downs and the offense in general should have some better success. But um, yeah, you're right. The defense does have some concerns on that side of the ball and uh, doesn't really seem to play too well with Wink Martindale. I kind of wish they were able to figure out a way to keep uh, Patrick Graham. Uh, I really did like Patrick Graham a lot and uh, it's too bad that he got out of town um, and, and now Wink is, uh, is their DC in my opinion. Okay. I'll go over to you. Ryan, is there a team that you're or unit that you're concerned about this
3: year? Yeah, for me it's the Titans offensive line. Obviously this was a unit that wasn't very good last year and they surprisingly didn't really do much to address it in the offseason, really other than letting David Questenberry walk and they're hoping that Dylan Raiden steps in and takes over that job. But, you know, even though there have not been significant changes from last year, one of the reasons why I'm so concerned about it is that I think Derek Henry is reaching the point in his career where he needs more help. And for through the peak of his career, he really didn't need any help at all. When you look at his carries, when he was contacted at or behind the line of scrimmage, in 2018, he ranked second in the league in yards per attempt. 2019, eighth. 2020, he led the league. So he was dominant there for a stretch, even when the offensive line wasn't helping him out. But last year, he dropped to 25th in yards per attempt when he was contacted at or behind the line of scrimmage. And given his age... That's not too surprising. This is when we see running backs slow down a little bit. So I think that he can still be good, but he needs help. And I have doubts that the Titans offensive line are going to be capable of helping him to the degree that he needs at this stage of his career.
0: A good point. And I do think that the Tennessee Titans, you know, it's just at some point, they're not going to win all of these one score games. This team just continues to, they're just, very sound in general and and they just figure out ways to win these games but at some point like uh, what's that mean like he can't keep doing like Mike Vrabel can't keep getting away with this and winning all these tight games uh this upcoming season we'll see if that regresses a little bit okay Tucker a team that you are or a unit or a player that you're concerned will meet uh the public perception this year
4: Yeah, one guy that I just, I I don't see it happening for him this year is Saquon Barkley. I know he's been hampered by injuries the last two years, but you look a little deeper. I mean, he broke four tackles last season. Of of the 53 guys who qualified with, you know, the minimum number of rushing attempts, he was ahead of only four in in attempts per broken tackle. And I I look at it, and you mentioned what Brian Dable's going to do with that Giants offense. and I don't think he's necessarily going to get the workload that he's enjoyed the last couple of seasons. And maybe that preserves him. Maybe that helps him, but you look at Dable's experience and his track record in Buffalo, he never had a running back at 200 carries in a season in his four years as the bills play caller. So I look at what Barkley's done as kind of the focal point of that offense. And if he looks as bad as he did last year and the year before that, I mean, this is a guy who's broke five total tackles in the last two seasons. I know he's been hurt, but I mean, there, there's probably a hundred and some running backs who have broken five total tackles in, in the last two seasons. There are probably a lot of guys who have broken five total tackles in one game. So I look at him and I look at his inefficiency and Brian Dable isn't necessarily invested in the Saquon Barkley business. So if he isn't successful, if he isn't moving the chains on early downs, I think we could see him being moved to a more complimentary role, uh, you know, mid season if he isn't successful. Interesting,
0: and I'm sure that's not the, any of the Eagles fan in you uh, talking, is it, Tucker?
4: No, no. I mean, if, if no, it's not. Yes, I'll leave it. At I that. know,
0: I know, I know. I I don't necessarily disagree, and we know that the Giants look. Jason Garrett, he kind of likes running the football on early downs, and Brian Dayball kind of likes throwing the football. And it is interesting. It's one of the biggest things that I'm looking forward to seeing. Is and I don't think anybody out there is talking about it, but for you guys that bought the book and read the Bills chapter, you know what I'm going to say. The dynamic between that head coach in Buffalo and that new offensive coordinator in Buffalo. And is this team going to go back to running the football a little bit more because of all the grief that and strife that went on behind the scenes that we didn't hear a lot about? but spilled out a couple times into press conferences after the games with Sean McDermott kind of ticked off about their inability to run the ball or be productive offensively in the game against the Colts in the rain or the game against the Patriots in the wind. And I have a feeling that he's going to rein in Ken Dorsey a lot and get them to run the football. At any rate, Brian Dable is free from all that. where He's in New York, and he can throw the ball as much as he damn well pleases uh, if he thinks that that's in their best interest with Daniel Jones, a quarterback. But he's not going to have the uh, the pressure of having to answer to a head coach uh, in that regard, which is what was happening there some behind the scenes. And we will be interesting to see if that happens at all this season in Buffalo. Okay, Curtis, you're up. Who do you think, player, team uh, that you're a little bit down on this year or you're concerned about?
5: Yeah, first I need Tucker to tweet out some of those Saquon stats because he's rising up draft boards and I'm, I'm one of the ones that is pro Saquon this year and the offensive change, so Tucker, if you could fire some stuff out there to maybe cool the fantasy crowd on Saquon, that would help out a little bit. Uh, mm-hmm. I'll go quick. I got the Raiders O-line I know uh, Ryan had mentioned that Devontae Adams will help Derek Carr on the quick passes, but this is a, uh O-line we have ranked 25th in our rankings, and they didn't make any significant additions this summer. Uh, they allowed 40 sacks last year. They were dreadful in run-block win rate. They were second-last, 12th-last in pass-block win rate. And I think their secondary is a bit weak, and they could just be outmanned in shootouts there in the AFC West and the other teams are going to be putting up points and as Rich has wrote in a couple articles this year we we see the sacks and the negative plays what it does to an offense and I just don't know if they'll be able to keep up scoring with some of these teams because of the O-line if there is a couple of sacks or problems with that so I think that might hold the Raiders back a bit.
0: Yep. It's, it. it is a concern. We talked about that a little bit earlier uh, and it'll be interesting to see how they start off in those first five games. Absolutely brutal for them. Um, I want to go ahead and mention to everybody out there, A, pick up the book. Uh, we spent months of our lives working on this and, and we do it because we love it. I particularly just love sharing information with you guys and giving you something new that you didn't know about before. That's pretty much all the questions that I've asked the guys on tonight's panel is, is tell us something that they're most excited about or that they didn't know earlier that they found most interesting. Like Learning is so cool uh, and learning new information. And this book is just ch- chock full of it. So oh. check my pin tweet, go grab the book. The price is going to rise next week. Get in there at the early bird price while it still lasts. That's first and foremost. Secondly, you know, a lot of people have asked, what about a printed book? Is there any way we could get a printed book? What's going on there? Well, first of all, it, it isn't that complicated. I've seen guys already tweeted, just just print the different chapters out and print the whole book out, staple the chapters together, organize it if you like that. It's not the end of the world. It's not the most difficult. If you actually want printed books, let me just tell you a quick story of the background on this. When we were selling printed books, they were like 250 pages, And then and we had to cap it like I couldn't write more than I wanted to. I had to cut off my writing. All the guys did because we couldn't write any more in order to keep the price manageable for when you buy it on your side of the table. But then we decided what happens if we just don't worry about that and write as much information as we want to and just sell the PDF? And we've moved from 250 pages to 350 pages. We sold PDFs only. Then we moved to 450 pages last year. We sold PDFs only. Now we're at 564 pages. We were selling printed books when it was 250. We're over double that right now. So we can't do printed books. It's just you would have to pay too much of an arm and a leg to do that. And that's why we're trying to just make it more reasonable and cost effective for you to just sell the PDFs. Go ahead and print them out. But what I am going to be doing is more book giveaways more printed book giveaways this year than we've ever done before but we're focusing on people that bought the pdf we want to reward you guys we know you guys want printed copies and we're not selling printed copies we're going to give you more opportunities to get printed books but it's going to go to the people that bought the pdf so if you want in the door they will be free they we will give them away but to the audience that has bought the pdfs Um, and then lastly free futures. We're giving away futures uh, to three people who quote tweet, my pin tweet about the book and just say something that you liked about the book or tell people to buy it or give a uh, thumbs up, something that you liked about the book uh, and all our hard work. Tomorrow, we are going out live with futures. Tomorrow afternoon, we're going to be releasing them to clients. The first wave, we're going to be going through a lot of waves of futures. I really love every uh, there's a lot of things that i like you're going to get a lot of futures tomorrow because there's a lot on the board that i really like and then we're going to keep doing that um all summer long so buy the book hope you love it hope you enjoy it um we're going to do another one of these calls because i mean how many we've had like thousands of people come in and out of this call and it's july at 10 p.m eastern so we know you guys love listening to this content We're going to do another one of these in a couple of weeks. And we want to get to your questions during that one and answer a lot of your questions. So we will do that. Uh, But for now, we're going to sign off and say good night. Thank you guys for listening. We love you. We love your support. And uh, please go pick up a copy of the book and hope you enjoy it and share your feedback online because we'd love to hear it. All right. Thanks, guys.